0: Welcome to The Landscape, your show about America's parks and public lands. I'm Erin Weiss with the Center for Western Priorities in Denver.
1: And I'm Kay Gretzinger in Salt Lake City. Today on the pod, we're talking about oil and gas reform. And that also happens to be the big news this week. The Bureau of Land Management announced a proposed rule last Thursday that would essentially codify the oil and gas reforms in the Inflation Reduction Act, as well as make a few other important changes to the federal leasing program. This is a big deal. It would fundamentally change the way oil and gas leasing occurs on public lands, putting the federal government in the driver's seat instead of the oil and gas companies that have driven the process for far too long. And since that's what this whole episode is about, we're just going to jump right in. The BLM announced a significant draft rule last week that would help codify the changes made to the onshore drilling program by the Inflation Reduction Act, as well as make some other major changes to how public lands are leased to oil and gas companies. We've got taxpayers for Common Sense Vice President Autumn Hanna here, and our very own Policy Director Rachel Hamby to talk about these changes. Autumn and Rachel, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's like to join you guys. So, Autumn, first off, why don't you tell us what Taxpayers for Common Sense is and why you all are so concerned with these changes to the onshore federal drilling program?
2: So, Taxpayers for Common Sense is a national nonpartisan budget watchdog group. We've been around since 1995, and throughout that time, we've been working to ensure that taxpayers receive a fair return on all the resources extracted or developed on federal lands, and that includes those oil and gas resources. Revenues from that resource development on federal lands represents an important source of income for the federal government, and it needs to be collected, managed, and accounted for in a fair and accurate manner.
0: All right. So then, Autumn, let's start with the basics of what rulemaking is. Um, and why does the Bureau of Land Management need to enact a rule to implement these changes that were made to the law last year? Uh, why do you need rules in place when when the law is already there?
2: Certainly. Um, thanks for that question. I think what's important to know here is that Congress takes uh, action to make sure that the federal laws are in place, and then there's administrative action, and that's Uh, through the agencies, the federal agencies, including the Bureau of Land Management and their rulemaking process, which is what we saw last week with the announcement of the oil and gas rule on leasing. Now, the rule is related to the congressional changes, those legislative changes that were enacted last year. Those reforms that you referenced from last last summer included updates to the royalty rate uh, for oil and gas uh, royalties. They included updating minimum bids, and rental rates as well. And those were over a 10 year window of that legislation, that budget reconciliation bill. Um, you also, but but a lot of the, those provisions included in the bill are vague. There's about you need implementation and the agencies implementing them will Go through rulemaking process to co- further codify those reforms and expand on them when we need clarity on how they're going to be implemented. Um, and the rulemaking also goes beyond legislative changes that we saw; things that were outside of that budget reconciliation um, process, things that weren't directly related to to raising revenue. So those increases included in the budget reconciliation bill last summer were about raising revenue because that's a budget bill. That's an important piece of that. And things like oil and gas bonding were were not included because they weren't direct revenue raisers. So there's a lot of reasons that rulemakings happen at the same time as laws are being passed through Congress. And we think both are really important places to ensure that taxpayers are getting a fair return. And you need both. Um, you need to to make things more permanent. You need to go beyond the 10-year window that we often see in Congress. And, and you need that clarification um, and implementation plan from the agency.
1: So, Autumn, you mentioned um, a lot of these outdated numbers, um, like royalty numbers and rental rates. Um, When were the majority of those numbers last updated before this big overhaul?
2: Rates were last updated in some cases over a century ago. So you had a royalty rate that was set under the Mineral Leasing Act of 1920. And then you had rental rates and minimum bids that were last updated under President Reagan in the 1980s. So looking at 1987. So in the case of those rates, you're looking at significant changes uh, in the market and what is what would be considered current um, and modern to what rates should be. Uh, a royalty rate is a percentage, but that percentage had not kept pace with what private and state markets had. It was private and state markets, I should say, were charging for operations on their lands. And so we had a royalty rate that was really lagging and costing us lost revenue. And then in the case of rental rates and minimum bids, those rates hadn't be, hadn't even been adjusted for inflation since the 1980s. So of course, I think I speak for a lot of folks when I'd say I'd love to be paying 1980s rent. Um, you know, this, these are rates that were grossly out of date and needed to be addressed because taxpayers were losing revenue, and because frankly, when you don't price things right, you know, reckless things happen. You look at reckless development and speculation and other problems.
0: Rachel, let's bring you in here. Uh, We were just talking about the things that were in the IRA. What else is in this draft rule that was not part of of the Inflation Reduction Act?
3: So another thing in the proposed rule that I think is really important is the codification of lease evaluation criteria that will spell out how the BLM will weigh oil and gas potential against other important values when deciding whether to offer a parcel for lease. These criteria are designed to encourage leasing in areas with high oil and gas potential and that are near other existing development, and to discourage leasing in areas with low potential for oil and gas or in areas with cultural, tribal, recreation, wildlife resources. So the BLM has been relying on instructional memoranda, which provide guidance, but that guidance hasn't been followed consistently in some of the recent lease sales. And it's also really easy to undo. A new BLM director can rescind an instructional memorandum instantly with another memorandum. So having lease evaluation criteria codified through the oil and gas rule ensures that the criteria are consistent. And this means greater certainty for the oil and gas industry, which is something they're often concerned about. And it will also be important to have those criteria enumerated clearly so that we all know these are the other values and resources that we are weighing against oil and gas development sometimes, especially in areas with low oil and gas potential, managing for other values and other resources is going to make more sense.
1: Right. So you sort of brought up um, lands with low potential there. Um, That sometimes we call that speculative leasing when the BLM offers up these lands that have low potential for oil and gas. And that actually was addressed by the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, Rachel, can you just say a little bit more about speculative leasing and like why it's a problem?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, speculative leasing, as you said, is when a company will buy up a bunch of leases, even though those areas have low or no potential to produce oil and gas. And some of the fee structures prior to the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act made this very cheap to do. But if there's no oil and gas under those lands, you might wonder what's the problem? If they're not going to drill for oil and gas, why wouldn't we just take their money and let them do nothing with the land? Well, there are a few problems. So, first, When a company nominates a parcel to be offered for lease, the BLM has to spend time evaluating it and assessing the impacts of potentially leasing it. So not only are oil and gas companies wasting the BLM's time, they're also preventing the BLM from using their time on doing other parts of their jobs, like managing recreation better or improving wildlife habitat, because they're spending all their time evaluating low potential parcels. Then if that parcel is offered and a company leases it, it's very difficult to manage that land for other uses like conservation or recreation because oil and gas development now has primacy there. So back in February of 2022, the Center for Western Priorities conducted an analysis that found that lands with wilderness characteristics were three times less likely to be managed for the protection of those characteristics if those lands overlapped with oil and gas leases even if those leases were not actually producing any oil or gas. And finally, the oil and gas company can do stuff to the land that they've leased, even if they aren't producing oil and gas from it. They can build roads and other infrastructure. They can drive trucks around and do other activities that damage the landscape and disturb wildlife. And those impacts can last a long time and can be really difficult to undo. Fortunately, many of the reforms in the IRA and in the proposed oil and gas rule are intended to discourage speculative leasing. For example, companies now have to pay a fee of $5 per acre to nominate parcels for leasing. The minimum bid is now $10 per acre to bid on parcels instead of $2 an acre. The proposed rule also changed rental rates so that the rental rate per acre increases over time, $3 per acre for the first two years, $5 per acre for the next six years, and then $15 per acre after that. So that makes it less attractive for companies to lease lands and then just sit on them and not do anything with them. And finally, the proposed rule will codify lease evaluation criteria that we mentioned a few minutes ago to discourage leasing in areas with low potential or in areas with other sensitive resources.
1: Awesome. Um, Autumn, I want to bring you in here. Um, We saw a pretty stark example of... speculative leasing or or sort of what happens when companies don't um, engage in speculative leasing in Nevada. Could you tell us about what happened in the, the Nevada lease sale that just occurred?
2: Right. I think what, you, what we saw this week in Nevada is illustrative of the problem of when we're leasing in these places where it is unlikely that uh, oil and gas can be produced and brought to market. Um, and that's you know, this this past Tuesday, the Bureau of Land Management offered almost 5,000 acres for lease and there were zero bids. And I think you can see that that's partly probably coming from the fact that rates are higher now, that it is not, that there is no longer non-competitive leasing. So you cannot come in the day after a parcel is offered at auction, like we saw on Tuesday, and come in the next day and get that for no bid at all, right? So in the past, companies were able to come in under non-competitive the day after an auction. They could sit it out, not offer a bid, not even the minimum bid, which was $2 an acre until the reforms we saw last summer, and they would come in and get that that acreage for no bid at all. And now at the end of non-competitive, it, we can see a change here where we're you have to come to auction. you have to put in at least the minimum bid, and so it discourages speculation by having those um, new rates in place and We no longer have that non competitive option to come in later, uh, which was just so egregious. We had that happening rampantly in nevada and we just we just did a new report in Nevada as well, where we dig into this more um, and look at the acreage but But the issue was that this was this problem needed to be addressed because of that that speculation problem. Um, I, I will just add the fact that there was a lease sale is still problematic, right? And that gets to a lot of what Rachel was saying as well. Are, are we leasing in a place where there's just little potential? Because now that we've raised the rates, maybe we will see lease sales like this where zero uh, bids will come in. But we still had to use all the resources to conduct that lease sale. And so the additional reforms that are in the rulemaking that are not in place yet, this is just a draft rule could help alleviate these uh issues where lease parcels are are nominated and lease sales have to happen it could discourage nomination or of of acreage and uh end at the holding of an auction in places where there's not really serious uh operators or there's not serious interest to develop that parcel
0: so in other words the would you say the IRA is working but could still be working better when you look at that 5,000 acres offered, planned, no interest. Um, Things are working as intended fiscally, but maybe it's not a great use of everyone's time if you're going to offer 5,000 acres. And then uh, that, of course, 5,000 acres that the industry itself nominated, but are now not interested in.
2: I think that's a a fair assessment. I think it's kind of early to see how these changes will impact leasing but i certainly think that it, it, it is a the case in Nevada where we have had a history of leases uh held by the oil and gas interests uh and those don't make it into production so since 2000 zero leases have entered production in Nevada, even though there's been millions of acres leased, so I mean, in over 2,500 leases, none of those have entered production in Nevada. So this is a place where we've we've seen this problem, and now we see zero bids when we've raised fees. That is a step in the right direction, but it's not enough that we still go ahead and do all of the hoops for holding the lease sale. And I think those are the for- reforms that we want to see codified in this rulemaking so that we can avoid having to, to hold this lease sale. And I, I will also note that outside of Nevada, you know, this isn't the only lease sale we've held this year. We also had a lease sale in New Mexico, and it was very competitive. So while we want to see royalty rates go even higher than what we saw in the Inflation Reduction Act, and we want to see even higher than what we see in the proposed rule, we think we can go to 18.75%. Um, the fact that the rate was set at 16.67% and that minimum bid rates were raised and and we had all of these these fiscal changes in place it didn't impact in new mexico where it's com- where there is an interest by operators or serious interest in where leases do enter production um, there are other problems that we want to see addressed in new mexico but in in nevada I, you know and across the program writ large but i think in nevada the fact that lease sales like Tuesday still happen is a problem. Hmm.
1: So, Autumn, you mentioned earlier that the proposed rule includes an increase to bonding rates, um, which were last updated in the 1960s. Can you tell us more about why it's important to reform these bonding rates?
2: Yes. I mean, it's absolutely important that we reform bonding rates. They have not been updated since the 1950s and 1960s, and this is a significant liability for taxpayers. So, insufficient bonding rates allow industry to walk away without reclaiming their well site. And because these rates have lagged for so long, we now have a a significant abandoned well problem and we've had to allocate significant federal resources to reclaim these well sites. And while we support reclamation and we know that leaving these sites uh, unreclaimed is a huge liability and needs to be addressed, we also recognize how important it is to fix the underlying problem. And that's something we have strongly uh, supported going forward, that we make sure that we have these reforms. I mean, it was very difficult for us to to see federal funds allocated to cleanup without doing any reforms. And that's what we've seen in Congress in the last couple of years. There's been over four, almost $5 billion allocated to abandoned well cleanup in the infrastructure bill. And then 250 million of that just for federal lands. And again, we support the cleanup and we think those resources need to go there to places where we now have no responsible party. But we have to address this broken system or we're gonna just keep having to do these bailouts for industry. And this is a a cost of doing business. They need to reclaim these well sites. And so we're really pleased to see these very outdated rates updated in the proposed rule.
0: So what's next? We saw this draft rule published last week uh, and comment period. And what's the timeline uh, on this thing?
2: So that's right. The rule came out this week, just on Monday. It was published in the Federal Register. BLM is going to accept comments until September 22nd. They are holding virtual and in-person public hearings in August, so there's plenty of opportunity for people to weigh in on the proposed rule uh, in those hearings. And, and then you know what happens in the process is they'll review those comments, they'll review the rule, they'll get back to working on it, and then we should see a final rule. I think timing from, for all of that is a little bit unknown, as it usually is in the rulemaking process, but we know it's important to get these rules across the finish line so that we have clarity on moving forward and we can start implementing these changes.
1: So in addition to all of these, um, this proposed rulemaking as well as the changes in the IRA, the BLM is also trying to tackle methane waste on public lands through the rulemaking process. It published a draft rule related to methane waste back in November of last year, that's 2022. Um, Rachel, what is in that rule and when should we expect to see a final version of it?
3: Sure. So first, just to clarify here, there are actually two methane rules happening, one proposed by the Environmental Protection Agency and one proposed by the BLM, which is what you're asking about. And the issue of methane is really important because it's an extremely potent greenhouse gas that contributes to climate change. So the BLM's rule would establish new requirements to reduce methane waste and would charge a royalty on lost methane. Right now, when methane is lost, the royalty payments that we should be receiving for that methane are also lost. So with this rule, we would treat lost methane the same as captured methane, which should discourage companies from allowing it to be lost. So the comment period for that rule closed in December of 2022, and we hope to see a final rule in the coming months.
0: All right. So let's talk timing. Autumn mentioned that there are some unknowns here, uh, and there's a A risk here in something we've talked about on this podcast before, the Congressional Review Act and the catch with the Congressional Review Act, Rachel, is that you don't actually know what the deadline is to to avoid that risk. Walk us through uh, what, what the CRA is and how it potentially comes into play with these rules that we're talking about here.
3: Yeah, sure thing. So the Congressional Review Act, or the CRA, gives Congress the power to vote to overturn any major administrative action, such as a rule, like the ones we've been talking about, within 60 legislative days, not calendar days, legislative days, of the action being published in the Federal Register. Congress can do this any time, but the president could also veto it. So there's not a whole lot of point to doing this unless there's going to be a change in administration. And in that situation, Congress can use the CRA to overturn something a previous administration did if they did it late enough at the end of the administration so that it falls within that last 60 legislative days of that Congress, and if the incoming president isn't going to veto Congress overturning that action. So what this means for these rules is that, to be safe, the Biden administration should be looking to publish their final rules by the spring of 2024, in order to avoid having them published within the last 60 legislative days of the current Congress and risk being overturned through the CRA process if there is a change in administration.
0: So in reality, they've got less than a year, like 10 months-ish, to get these done and over the finish line?
3: They're on a tight timeline, and we sure hope to see them give this rule the priority it deserves.
0: Autumn, I want to give you the last word here. Uh, number one, h- how can folks weigh in uh, on the the BLM oil and gas rule? And what will taxpayers for common sense be focusing on in, in your comments, assuming that you're planning to comment on this thing? Uh,
2: we are certainly planning to comment. We have been following along in the process and uh, anxiously awaiting this rule. The, this process started even before, but there was but uh, – sorry. This process started in back in 2021 when DOI released a report, the Department of Interior released a report sort of outlining reforms on oil and gas. And we were eager to see that. And that was before we had our legislative reforms last year. So um, this is something that we're sort of heading in the right direction and want to make sure that we keep on top of so we can see these reforms and, and fully implemented. And our comments will focus on supporting the bonding rates and those increases and making sure we see that update and that those stay on top of current rates and and that we're making sure that taxpayers are protected in bonding, uh, again, because we don't have anything legislatively. Uh, while we do have legislative reforms on royalty rental rates and minimum bids, we want to see those set in place beyond the 10-year window of the IRA. So that's important to us and we will be focused on that. We will also be pushing for higher royalty rate. We have been supportive of 18.75% as a royalty rate on onshore. We saw that in a lease sale last summer and don't think, again, that raising that royalty rate would be something that, that would be unfair to industry. We think that would be very much on par with what we've seen on state and private lands, as I mentioned before, and so in line with the market, we think that that is a pretty conservative royalty rate, and we would like to see b l m institute that um, again, supporting the adjusting to inflation among minimum bids and rental rates, those kinds of policies beyond the ten year window, and getting clarity clarity on how b l m will be implementing them, and many of the things that Rachel touched on earlier that will help end speculation as well, and looking at how do we best use our federal resources and our federal lands to the benefit of the public so the taxpayers are getting the most for these assets that we that we frankly own and the blm and doi are are managing on all of our behalf?
1: all right i think we'll leave it there if you've got more questions or want to learn more about this topic check out our recent guide to these changes on our westwise blog And Autumn Hanna, Vice President of Taxpayers for Common Sense, and Rachel Hamby, Policy Director at the Center for Western Priorities. Thank you both for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks so much, guys. In good news this week, we've got a new national monument. It's called the Emmett Till and Mamie Till Mobley National Monument, and it commemorates the gruesome murder of 14-year-old Emmett Till in 1955. Till's murder shocked the nation and helped catalyze the modern civil rights movement, in part due to the insistence of Emmett Till's mother, Mamie Till Mobley, that the injustice and violence of her son's death be publicized. President Biden established the monument using his authority under the Antiquities Act, which allows presidents to protect lands with cultural and scientific values. This is the fourth national monument created by President Biden since he took office.
0: And hopefully not the last. Well, that is it for today's episode. As Kate mentioned earlier, do go check out that latest blog post if you want to learn more about these oil and gas reforms that are happening right now, because there are a whole lot of moving pieces. Uh, Rachel and Autumn gave us a great overview, and we can really dive into the details there if you want. You can just type Westwise into whatever search engine you like. And while you're at it, go follow us on social media. We're on threads, TikTok, Instagram, x or twitter whatever it's called for the moment uh and as always send us your comments and questions podcast at westernpriorities.org
1: thanks again to autumn and rachel for sharing their impressive policy chops with us today and thank you for listening to the landscape